Stafford with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. School holidays can feel like a marathon, especially for those who have young children. And while screens can be one form of entertainment, I think we can all agree kids don't need to be online from dawn to dusk. That's why I'm excited to speak with my guest today, Kaylin Carr. She started her business, Quiet Book Queen and Crafts in Between, to help parents and grandparents provide screen-free activities for the little ones in their life. Before her business, Carr taught in early elementary school and earned her master's in literacy and a reading specialist credential. She is also the author of several books, a speaker advocating for offline play, and a mother of two. Welcome, Kaylin Carr, to the Girls That Create podcast. Thank you for having me. So you were an elementary school teacher before becoming a stay-at-home mom, and then you launched Quiet Book Queen and Crafts in Between. Uh, You also shared that your kids were born around the same time as the iPad. So I would love to hear what inspired you to start your business and become dedicated to defending children's early childhood years. Well, it was definitely not in my mind to start a business. So I I stopped teaching to be at home with my kids, and I wanted to be at home with my kids. So the thought of, like, starting a business wasn't there. But I knew since before kids that I wanted to – create an environment where they didn't rely on screens for entertainment. So I didn't buy a car with a DVD player in it because I didn't want that crutch. I thought, well, if I want that eventually, like I can bring in my own. So things like that. So I had a quiet book as a kid. And so I remember it vividly. And a quiet book is like a felt activity book where you can have pages with fine motor skills and learning concepts. And so I wanted to make one of those, but there's so much work that I ended up organizing a swap group with friends. I just said, hey, does anybody want to do this? And it was a way to keep my kids off screens when we were out and about on appointments and restaurants, and it really worked. They loved it, and the the event was really successful. And so I had a friend who said, you should start a business doing this for other people because it worked out really well. It was so much easier. I'd never even thought about it, but I actually had an insurance agent I was talking to them about, and he was like, um, this is not a very good business plan. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to really go anywhere with this. And good thing I didn't listen to him, right? <laughs> so it just kind of involved where I would help local people build quiet books, and then it grew to people would mail them to me, and I'd mail them back, and then it grew to creating my own templates because I really enjoyed doing that. And if I was going to sell templates, like they needed to be my own, right? And so I found that path. I've got all kinds of holiday themes. And then I got an offer to write a book for activities. And so now I've written five books now. And then I put together page kits. And now I have an inner circle membership for printable activities for those people who don't. So it just kind of developed into this big screen-free umbrella of, like, you can do this if you don't have to rely on technology. There's all kinds of ways to make sure kids can grow and play and do what they need to do. Not that screens are bad, but there's just so much more to life than screens and entertainment. I love the whole idea of the quiet book and that, you know, it kind of engages the, the use of the hands. 
actually, and I have to admit, both of my girls did Montessori in early childhood. So I'm drawn to the concept of it. And I would love just to kind of have you share with our listeners just a little bit about the Montessori Waldorf as well, education and philosophies on early childhood about the idea of engaging in um, activity and physical mm-hmm. and being physical and touching and manipulating and moving and building and why that's so important and how it connects to early childhood development and the early child brain. Yeah. I wish my kids, I, they went to a great preschool and I, I meant, I made sure that they were hands-on and it was a play-based preschool, but I love, there's no Waldorf education at all. And so Waldorf, I might get this wrong because I'm not super familiar, but it's, it is definitely screen free. They are about the whole child and playing and exploring. And I believe they don't even really teach learning concepts until the kids are much older. Like they're just introduced. It's a lot of storytelling, I believe. And then Montessori, they're also limited screens and they're all about the child. Well, you could probably do this more, explain more yourself. Um, the child being in charge of their education and being like they can do things at young ages, like don't hold them back because you think they're too small and giving them that independence and that. And but both of them are very strong in screens don't really have a place in early childhood education. And the fact that like 80 percent of a child's brain is grow, is grown by the age of three and 90 percent is grown by the age of five. And so those are the critical years to develop and lay the foundation for the rest of their life, your, you know, their attention, their focus skills, their creativity, their imagination. It's just so important. Speech, I mean, that's a huge one, language. And it's not that if you give your child a screen for a little bit during that time, they watch TV or play a game, like you're ruining them. That's not the case. But if you are coming to rely on using YouTube or apps, to teach your child their ABCs or, you know, you think that that's their learning time and that it's good for them. It's not. The best thing that kids can do during that age is play and and explore. So if you're out there and listening and think that all those educational apps are the benefit and the better thing, it's simply not true. And I feel like a good analogy is if you compared screens to sugar, you want to limit them. And I feel like educational games are like apple pie. Yes, they have fruit in them, but is that something we should be giving to our kids for every meal? No, right? You know, give them the apple. Play is the apple and exploring and reading. So much learning comes from reading with you and just exploring those books. The apple pie is the screen time, the games that you can give every once in a while. I saw on your site that you sell shirts that actually say, like, play like an 80s kid or play like a 90s kid. You know, I think there definitely is, for parents today, almost a nostalgia for, oh, I just wish it wasn't quite such a dominant force in the day-to-day. And why do you think that is? Why do you think we're seeing that yearning from the parent's perspective? Why do you think we're sometimes, like, feel like we're constantly kind of caught in this tug-of-war feelings about it? I feel that, too. And, I mean, parenting these days is complex. We grew up in a time where, yes, we had screens, we had video games, we had TV, but we had Game Boys. It was not something that was accessible anytime. Like, I would spend my summers, we would swim out in our pool, and then I'd come in and I would play Nintendo. It was this balance. Like, it wasn't it wasn't just all consuming. And now you can have screens in the car. You can go out to a restaurant and have screens. But we're missing out on large chunks of life and, like, socializing 
our kids and making sure they're a part of society and can communicate with others and can entertain themselves when they're bored and not when they're waiting. We have no delayed gratification. Everything is instant, instant, instant. And so as a parent, it's just, oh, remember, like the more simple times where we could use screens, but it wasn't a battle all the time of it's available to your child all the time. Yeah, there was a uh, summer blockbuster film, and I'm not going to give away which one because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there is a big cliffhanger. And my oldest was completely just appalled at this cliffhanger because it's the middle of three movies. And I laughed. I said, yes, this is your Empire Strikes Back moment, basically, <laughs> where you're like, what's going to happen? If y'all, you're going to have to wait yeah. a couple of years <laughs> to see the end of the story. And she was um, completely appalled by this. But at the same time, yes, I think it's teaching kind of that idea of, well, you're just going to have to be patient and see mm-hmm. how this all shakes out. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, we, it was something that we definitely had all the time as, as kids. You have a master's degree in reading and literacy. How has that impacted your choices and what you're thinking as you're creating these activities for kids and families? Yeah, it really helps in the inner circle. I mean, being a teacher, like creating these activities, I know where kids are, what they enjoy, what they need to be working on at these different ages. And just reading, even through my master's in teaching, it is so important. If you just read to your child every day the amount of language they're going to build, and then they will turn and and not always, I can't say always, but you're building, I love that reading builds that connection with you. So they get the warm, fuzzy feeling sitting next to you, reading your book, they have your full attention, and then they're linking that to reading. And then later on, they're like, oh, I remember this book. I remember reading this with my parent. It just gives the, the warm, good feeling where they will grow to enjoy reading. And if you have books as a value in your house and you're surrounded by books, the chances that they are going to just grow up and like to read are just so much better than if you don't do this every day and then they're growing up and going to school and they're like, what is this? And then and then you're competing against the amazing dopamine trickle that screens give you, you know, it's hard to compete. So And I don't mean amazing, like it's not amazing, but to your brain, it's amazing, you know. It's so addicting, basically. You want it more and more. And books just don't have that. So I really wanted to ingrain my love for books and give that to my kids. And I have. I mean, it was successful. My kids are both, they're 9 and 11 now, and they're voracious readers. And it's so easy now. They wake up on a Saturday morning and they don't ask for a TV. They wake up and read a book. The things you're doing day by day that you don't think matter, screen-free is not the easiest way. Of course, it's easiest on a parent when the kids want it to just hand the screen, say yes to screen time. But the value that you're giving when you say no to screen time and find other things to do is huge. And I'm finding as my kids are older that all those times where I was the mom at restaurants who was, you know, packing up the activities and things to do and, and waiting for appointments and doing all that stuff, it's paid off. It is very much worth all that extra time (laughs) that I spent. And I think, too, that art of conversation at restaurants and in general of having to talk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's like something to be said about that, especially coming out of a pandemic where there's so much isolation that, I mean, so many kids lost that opportunity to kind of develop some of those social skills. So we're kind of doing a catch-up 
right now, I feel. And so, again, it is like a slowly unraveling because, this, you know, look, I mean, for a lot of families, screens were a lifesaver during that isolation time. But now we're kind of in this new era. And so how do we redefine that relationship? Because we are no longer, thankfully, you know, in a lockdown situation. Yeah, like screens are a tool. You know, they're not bad, but there are parts of it. Oh, and going back to our childhood in the 80s and 90s, screen time is not the same as it was back when we were kids because there's this whole element of persuasive design where companies and big tech are meaning to keep your kids on as long as possible. Like they are designing everything with the hopes that they will keep you there. And there's no break that, you know, the constant like looping of here's this next video, the scrolling, the feed, the, you know, even Netflix, you have to be mindful and actually like turn off replay. And it just makes it so much harder on a parent that you're fighting it. You know, it's not necessarily your kids who are the problem. It's big tech and the technology that is making it so that their brains just don't want to give it up. Yeah, because we have to think about it because we are adults and our brains are developed and we understand a cause, consequence, and we struggle with it. We struggle with turning things off. We struggle with breaking away or saying, I've got to, you know, I need to be getting my inadequate sleep and I need to be trying to at least fit in some kind of healthy activity in my lifestyle. You know, it's and we have trouble doing that because it is addicting. Mm-hmm. But they're not going away. <laughs> right. They're not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a permanent part of life. So I'd love to hear conversations you've had with your kids and why it's important for us as parents to have those conversations. We can't just look at our children now and be like, well, just because. Or we're going to turn this off just because. There needs to be explanation and walk through because we're teaching them how to balance all of this as they get older. Absolutely. I am a big believer of starting conversations young and in the process of just day-to-day. I don't say like, okay, kids, I want to talk to you about this. I'm just thinking about like all the issues, you know, tricky people, um, you know, scams and phishing and, you know, links. Like when I get one, I will show my kids and say, look at this. Like, would you click on this? And then permission to take a photo. My kids were last year outside playing with neighborhood kids, and they were, like, going down a car on our driveway. And I looked out the window and saw a neighborhood kid who was not older. He was maybe second or third grade, and he had a phone and was filming my kids. And so we had a conversation of that, of, you know, you have to advocate for yourself. And if you don't want that picture spread or video spread around, like, you need to say, hey, please don't film me or don't take this picture or, you know, ask, like, what are you going to do with that? I mean, it was just a conversation piece. And then I used time in the car a lot to to talk about different things because they're captive (laughs) and they have to Uh, stay there and actually participate and it's just it's so so important to just have an open conversation and then make them feel comfortable with coming to you when you have when they have issues or questions like with pornography I've talked about that since they were probably you know six five like when if they're on a computer they need to be knowing that there might be some pictures that make you feel uncomfortable And if you see those, you need to make sure you tell me it's not your fault. But I mean, there's there's stories of things popping up in the middle of kids shows on YouTube. You just don't know the Internet. If you're on the Internet, you're bound to come across something inappropriate. And it's just a a realm of things that we have to deal with again as a parent to that. (laughs) 
in this digital age. So yes, I advise you just when the conversation comes up and you feel like you can fit something in, do it. <laughs> I do feel it's very much whack-a-mole because also as soon as you figure out one thing, you know, how to maybe block something, maybe how to get off of, take an app off or it's just something else crops up. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really do think those conversations are important because you can't, it's almost, you know, wave, you just can't stop and you're holding your hands up and you just the have to kind of think about it. Yeah. The kids are going to get access from friends. I don't plan on giving my kids a cell phone, a smartphone for very many years. Like they're going in, going to sixth grade, my oldest. And so I'm holding out and she knows that we've talked about that. We, I've explained my reasoning for why and that and when she does get a phone it's going to be like a simple brick phone to just simple tech you know like a 2000 kid there <laughs> this is all a whack-a-mole situation because as soon as we block something take care of something yeah. you know the um, friends thing so they're yeah, going to see it on their friend's phone so your child might not have cell phone but their friends will on the school bus or walk you know wherever if they're over at their house so you have to just be prepared to talk to your child about what your values and limits are. And but if you, they do see something, then they know how to deal with it and feel comfortable with coming to you. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. This episode of the Girls That Create podcast is brought to you by the Girls That Create website, where we provide parenting resources for raising creative girls, while also encouraging greater female representation across the arts. Visit us at www.girlsthatcreate.com, where you'll find articles by some of our podcast guests, including Dr. Michelle Borba, Jessica Leahy, Renee Trudeau, and many more. You can also sign up for the Girls That Create newsletter at www.girlsthatcreate.com slash newsletter. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Hi, everyone. Erin here. I want to give a shout out to our Word of Mom radio sister show, Be Our Planet Solution. Hosted by Tanya Torellis, the show focuses on all the impactful ways people and businesses are being green. There's only one Earth. Listen to Be Our Planet Solution to discover how others are working to protect it and learn what we can all do for this amazing planet. Don't let the name fool you. StadiumBags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out StadiumBags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice. 
because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. My guest today is Kaylin Carr, owner of Quiet Book Queen and Crafts in Between. Some parents are more conservative at home regarding screens. They may decide they don't want iPads, they don't want phones until much later, their children are much older. But then school comes along and then technology is slowly introduced in the curriculum and their kids are suddenly given an iPad as part of how to complete work. What do you suggest parents who want to maneuver through this new world of where suddenly they no longer have control at the school is making decisions? And it goes back to, I know, again, as an educator, obviously parents and teachers need to work together with what's best for the child. But I would just love to hear your thoughts on how to approach that situation. Yes, I, I, that's what happened to us. Like we, my kids didn't use any devices until kindergarten and then they got, you know, I didn't hear about Go Noodle until kindergarten and they, and then they were all, oh, we use Go Noodle. I mean, which is fun and easy and a good movement activity, but it started then of like the, the centers on the screens and I just, my advice is to definitely have a conversation with the teacher and come at it as like a partner view. So kindergarten and first grade, my kids, it wasn't all the time. They still basically, it was for centers or a game or something like that every once in a while. And I just told the teachers, my view, like we, we limit screen time at home, ask questions. How much are they going to be, you know, using the device and what's it for? And, and you can kind of get a feel and then you can just say, this is what I do as my kids gotten older. And now in third and fifth grade this school year, they have Chromebooks and they like, they're at their desk, like almost all day long. And I'm just, to me as a former teacher too, it's just when a device is right next to you, your focus is partially there and the distractions of like the internet. And like, yeah, you might be doing this one thing for school, but you could easily just go to another browser and it just the whole thing of it of it being just so prevalent in schools is is problematic to me. So what I do is I again ask questions to the teacher, and then I have requested and I say we limit screen time at home. I know it's a tool in your classroom, but I would appreciate if they finish work early that they don't use a screen. They just read a book, write a story, color a picture, help you. There's so many things to do instead of just popping on the computer to do what whatever they want to do while they're waiting for other kids to finish work. Like I want them to use the, the technology as the tool and the assignments are fine, even though I really hope that teachers are taking assignments that are important. Ed, there's a resource called the EdTech Triangle from everyschool.org. So if anybody's listening and interested, it's a huge resource that you could take to your School. And also the Screen Time Action Network, fairplay.org, has a lot of resources too. Templates of how to talk to your teacher, to give them the research and understanding of this is what's going on. So it's all about using tech like as not a replacement. So if you have a book, use the book. Don't use the computer to read the story. Read the book. If you're going to write a rough draft, write or take notes. Because, you know, the brain processes things and remembers things and reading comprehension is so much better off the screen. There's been studies about that. And so use tech for the things that you can't use anything else for, creating a presentation, doing research and things like that. So all of my teachers so far have been very receptive. And I say, I I don't want to create more work for you. I know my child is one 
child. Do you have many others? So how can I help you? Can I send some activities in? Do you need me to make copies? Be a helper and come at it as like a partner in your child's education and not accusing. You need to stop this and this is not okay. I think that's something that also could be applied to not just tech in general, but obviously all different ways of education in whether it be in the reading or the math or just kind of, it's just that importance of open communication and asking questions and realizing you're on a team together. Yes. Yes. And as a former teacher, I would absolutely appreciate knowing that, that parent's point of view, and I would take it into consideration. Now, I know teaching has changed a lot since I was in there. Teachers are overworked, burnout, pandemic. So you might get a teacher that is just, ah, one more thing. And I, I mean, I mentioned this on social media, and I had some teachers like, you expect me to do this? You need to get a 504 if you need anything extra. And I was I was like, okay, I I see your point of view. I do. But as a former teacher, to not have this partnership with a parent who has a valid concern, I'm not trying to create more work for you. So just know there are people out there who might give pushback, but if you can just be nice and kind and be a helper, it will go a long, long way. It's not on the teacher to monitor your child. I tell my kids, look, when you finish your work, I want you to get out a book and read. You have computer time. We, I've talked to them, again, about conversation, about their eyes, and they need a break from the screens, and it's not good to be on screens all day long, and the just the movement. So, again, it's like it all folds together, like conversation, making sure they understand. And, again, that's why I wrote my new book, because I wanted a, a tool to talk to my kids. We're going to get to that. I do want to hear your thoughts about creativity and screen mm-hmm. time and the importance of taking those breaks and almost even, because creativity is obviously something we talk about a lot in the show, but the importance of that space for creativity to flourish and something, and I think that's when you're stuck on a screen all the time, that suddenly you don't have those moments of pause, reflection, and just letting things kind of creep into your brain that could take you into this wonderful new direction of a project or something you want to make. Yes, even as adults, we're constantly plugged in to listening to music, listening to audio. And so I make a point, I was out pulling weeds, to just not be connected or plugged into anything and just let your mind wander. You know how good ideas come off to come in the shower? It's because you're not doing anything else. Your brain needs that space. So you're just taking a shower and so you're thinking. And that's when ideas pop in. And so with kids, it's the same same thing. And even more important because they're learning what to do with that feeling. Boredom is a, could be a scary, not good feeling. I don't know what to do. I just, I, it's this endless day and I just, nothing, you know, sounds fun. And I've often, I've seen that my kids, if we were to, when they were littler, get up, start a show in the morning and have, you know, if I wanted to sleep longer or I'm a big not morning person. So that was often a time where I would have liked to use screens, but I saw that they just could not move on from the TV. It's like it stunted their creativity. It was just like, all right, now what do I do? But on the days when they wake up and don't have screen time and we save the screen time for the afternoon, oh, they find all kinds of things to do. Like even during the pandemic, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to have to allow some more screen time because this is definitely an unprecedented situation. But my kids, actually, I they didn't need it. 
my daughter started writing a chapter book in second grade and my son would get all into origami and parents often want to intervene because they're like, oh, we can't be bored, but it's okay for your kids to be bored. It's so important. Boredom, there's a saying, and I'm not sure who said it, but boredom is the mother of creativity. You have to have that time and that space to do nothing. And I think Glennon Doyle, who made this good point of like right now this generation like how many people are not picking up a guitar like who would be writing like a famous song in 20 years but they're not picking up a guitar right now to learn how to play or the next chef is not picking up a recipe to try in the kitchen the next writer is not writing a story like because we're just relying on entertainment by our screens it's so passive it is not doing anything for our creativity and imagination. I absolutely agree with that. What? Tell me about your new book, Screens Away, Time to Play. So I wish I had this book when my kids were little. <laughs> and is why I wrote it, because I, as we said, I was, my kids were born around the same time as the iPad. It was the newest, coolest thing. I was just like, sure, this is cool. Like, let's try it. And my kids were the ones on the potty, like learning how to potty train, and they got the iPad to play the game. And we didn't have it all the time because I still was conscientious about screen time, but we go over to my parents' house. My dad is a huge Apple guy, loves all the gadgets, and so they would play, had the apps and stuff on there too. And I just started noticing things. They would zone out. I couldn't talk to them from six inches away. They would totally ignore me. And then after, it was a struggle to turn it off, and then it would be a spiral behavior. Even later, it was just, and I, it was one day, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, this just doesn't feel good. And at the time, there was not the research out there. I just trusted my mom's gut and was just, you know what, I'm going to just stick to TV time because this is not working for us. I don't, it's not worth it to me. So I put the iPad in the drawer and we stuck to TV and I noticed, I was like, there's so much better. That was the problem. And then all the research comes out and I'm just fascinated by the studies where they're looking at MRIs and brain imaging and like the screen time is actually changing their brain structure. And at a time when the brain is still developing and so much is happening, it, it's just not worth it to me. And I I'm, I'm don't want to be this experiment. Our children are at this age where it's new. Anyway, I wanted a book to explain that to my kids in a kid-child appropriate way, and there wasn't really anything out there. We had Berenstain Bears, Too Much TV Time, which was a classic from when I was a kid. So I did get a few, but I wanted to write this book that explains to kids that like, what too much screen time can do to your brain. It starts off with, I know it's hard to turn it off. But it's not that I didn't want a whole book about screen time because that's no fun. So I wanted to show kids the excitement and the all the opportunities they can have of screen free activities. So when it when your grown up says it's time to turn it off, what they can do instead. And it's also a book that, you know, says their job is to play and screens are not they're not bad. It's not a screens are bad book. It's a screen time limits are important. And this is what you can do when screens need to be off. I think that's so important. I mean, going back to your analogy with the sugar and right, about how it's got to be all balanced and you need to just find 
you know, what works for your family and the importance of that. But then also, yes, acknowledging the kids. One, yes, of course you'll want the screen. And then two, okay, well, so I turned it off. What do I do now? And just to kind of give those examples of things to think about. Well, here are things you could do and have a lot of fun. One thing I have seen a lot recently is this idea of screen detox as well. When, especially for younger kids, suddenly parents look up and they're just, wow, we are completely having utter nuclear meltdown over the iPad getting turned off. And I would just love to hear what you think about the screen detox, what you have seen. Have you done it with your own kids? Maybe not. You may not have gotten to that point, but just kind of, what did you, you, oh, you have. Okay. What have you learned about it? (laughs) Well, we have, and I, I know the word detox can have a bad rap. I mean, but it. I read the book, Reset Your Child's Brain by Dr. Victoria Dunkley, and she recommends, she's a psychiatrist who sees patients, and she actually prescribes a screen fast before she will do any kind of medication. And more times than not, children who are having issues, these issues go away. It mimics autism, ADHD, all kinds of behavior disorders. And so, and then if they actually do have that kind of diagnosis, it their behavior is still so much better. So after reading that, if she recommends like a four, like if they're having serious serious issues, like a four week fast, and it's it's a lot. But I have found that it really helps. Just I call it a reset because it's just like you're breaking a habit loop. So you I've used it in times when like we've been sick and we just have the TV on all day long and it's. People are feeling better, but now it's kind of like re-entry, you know, so it's hard to kind of balance. When you want it, you want more and more. It is like sugar. Like once you start eating lots of desserts, you just want more and more and more. So I kind of call it the reset where you just take a break. And it usually takes like two or three days for us. You have to see what works for your kids and your family and start to notice behaviors. If your kids can get off after a day and you just have like a day outside or you just have a day running a bunch of errands and you just go do something like you could be reset just with that. And you're like, okay, but it might take your kids are whining and complaining and wanting and asking the screens. It might mean you need to just go a little bit longer just to get them not thinking about it. And out of sign, out of mind helps a ton to keep them busy. So I think it is valuable to kind of just reset your family. And then it's also kind of a, Another thing is, do you know what your child is like off screen? Because the behavior can definitely change. And so you can notice if you have a reset where your child is off screen completely for a few days, notice their behavior. And I, I know with my son, it's evident. My daughter doesn't isn't as affected. And so it's by it's like a science experiment by child. Like how much screen time is going to be necessary you know, how much do I need to limit? And so pay attention to their behaviors. So once you reintroduce it and you notice, okay, there's these behaviors again, or they're irritable, or they're angry, or they're having trouble going to sleep, all those things, then you you kind of have more of an awareness of, okay, that was the, the cause then, because we did more of this today, or that specific show, because all TV is different now. Like, there are some very overstimulating shows that can affect a child, and so you can know, maybe we shouldn't watch that particular show and find something that's less overstimulating. Besides the activities you've got on your site, what are other things that you would recommend to parents who are looking for those off-screen things to do with their families? 
I, we love podcasts. That's another avenue or audiobooks, but podcasts are free and there's so many out there for kids. And I actually have a list on my website. I have screen for activities too, for ages three to seven. On my website, if you go to quietbookqueen.com, and you'll get those. And then a little bit later, a few emails later, you get the podcast list too for different ages and different kinds. But there's just so many. There's just storytelling ones. There's educational ones. There's music ones. And it just is a way to be calm and listening, but without that stimulation of a visual component. So you, you can cook dinner together and listen to a podcast. You can color and listen to one. You can just snuggle and listen to one, like where you get that closeness or you can put it on and then go do what you need to do or it can be in the car you can have like your getting ready time and put on a podcast so that is a, a big thing that we use and then have, when my kids were littler I would have like special drawers in the house with like special toys so we were in the kitchen like they'd have their kitchen drawer and so they could be next to me and they would pull things out like magnets to put on their refrigerator and empty plastic things where they could put things in and play with or like a few toys I had one in my bathroom like when I was getting ready or needed to take a shower and they wanted to be with me or I didn't want them to go too far away (laughs) and I wanted them there like so it was different and so they knew that these were the the bathroom toys you can if you have like a bathtub another fun activity if it's not connected to your shower or maybe you're getting ready you can just put them in the bathtub with some toys and some pillows and some books and you know it's something kind of fun and unique and they're kind of contained. If you could go back in time, what is something you would tell your younger mom self about this whole parenthood journey? I would say that it is okay to not play with your kids. I would feel, I remember feeling guilty. They asked me to play and I have to do this or I've already said no today. So I'm going to, and I just would kind of feel that guilt. And now that my kids are older, I look back and I'm, I should not have felt guilty Play by yourself is so important, and and you are giving them so much attention other ways. Like you know, like you're the the whole point is just to connect with your child. If you love playing with your child, then play with them, and that's your connection time. But if you don't like it, you don't have to. You know, you can cook together, you can read stories together, go on walks together, create and do projects together. Pull them into the things that you like to do. You know, if you like to do yoga, do yoga with them. Gardening. My kids were sewing with me. They would sit on my lap and sew when we were making quiet books. And so that is the connection time and things that I remember. And really, the kid's job is to play. It's not my job. And so I would definitely say that to my younger self, (laughs) that it's okay. Encourage independent play. And actually, kids get much deeper into play when adults aren't messing it up. We think, oh, we can be certain way or you should do this or is this what's happening and it's not you're just meddling what their whole process is so it's okay to stay out of it you're not a bad parent I think it's hard not to you feel that pull to meddle and then it's always hard to take the pause and say nope I'm just going to step back and let them be Mm -hmm. exactly what would be your last piece of advice for parents as they're navigating this green environment that we're all in and you know the that kids as they get older it just becomes more and more prevalent in their lives. And I would say you're not alone. If you are having these feelings that you don't want to hand over a cell phone, but everybody else has them, or, you know, you don't want to hand over your iPad in the restaurant when all your friends are out to eat and your kids are, you know, they're all on their iPads. It's hard to find that 
community of people that are you know similar when it comes to parenting and your your low screen lifestyle. It, again, we're not completely screen free. I just value analog activities over you know screens, and so you're not alone. Just stick to it. You know, it's so you're building that foundation, and this is an investment opportunity. You know, you're investing in your child's future, and it's going to pay off in in the later years. And it's okay if you're a little behind. Like, you're not alone out there. There are other parents out there. And again, though, if you are out to eat with a group of people who have their kids on iPads, it's not going to be the end of the world if that's happening and your kid gets on there. It is okay, and there's that balance, and you have to just talk, you know, other families do different things than we do in all areas, and this is what we do. So that would be my advice. (laughs) I also, I think the kindness to yourself that if you did have a really, really hard day and you just don't have it in you to sit there and deal with a dinner out and all the things, and you just handed a phone over just because it was you were at the end of your day, that's okay too to be kind to yourself. Yes, yes. Know that it's not it's not what happens all the time. It's just mm-hmm. that certain time and because screens are a parenting tool is what I often say, and so you. Use them when you need them, not when your kids expect them and want them. (laughs) That's very good advice. Kaylin Carr, thank you for being with us today on Girls That Create Podcast. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And we will put a link to Kaylin's website in our show notes. Thank you again. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on the Girls That Create Podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Remember, figuring out screen time is a challenge all parents and caregivers go through every day. Be kind to yourself and make space for some offline fun. Here's our closing theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather Stafford. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. She is sure. She is strong.